Welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shout outs, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Woodbeck. Welcome back to Fracture Line, first of all, everybody. And we're very excited to have a Dr. Edward Black on. We're also joined by Dr. Kyle Smith. Um, so, Dr. Edward Black, Dr. Smith, you know, as always, our guest host, talk to us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your practice, and where you are in the world right now. Go ahead, Dr. Black. Okay. Well, uh, good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you are listening to this. Uh, yes, so my name's Ed Black. I'm a thoracic surgeon trained in the UK. After about 10 years as a consultant in the UK, mostly at Oxford University, I moved to the UAE ostensibly to set up a lung cancer practice, but it didn't quite work out like that. But I got really settled with the challenges and the lifestyle benefits of working in the UAE. And I can't believe it's actually my nine-year anniversary here next week. It's just uh, completely mental. I don't understand nine years in the UAE, but... uh, yeah, life obviously changes. I've become greyer and uh, actually slightly less bad-tempered. Um, I think it's because I'm deaf and I can't hear when people are winding me up so much. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, I know uh, Tom and Sarah had a brief visit to... Uh, I'm back in a lane, actually. So uh, the UAE is, as you, most people think of Dubai, some know there's Abu Dhabi, but there's seven emirates that came together about 50 year, 51 years ago. And uh, I'm in the large emirate of Abu Dhabi in the second city, Elaine. I'd had a brief two year, two and a half years in Abu Dhabi, uh, helping the Mayo Clinic uh, joint venture get set up. But I'm back in Swam where uh, Tom and Sarah visited. And um, yeah, it's uh, like, so as I said, I'm a thoracic surgeon and I've had an interest in uh, rib trauma since John Edwards and I were, I think it was pre-piss up at a thoracic oncology meeting or post and a hangover meeting, I'm not sure. We're doing the usual dick-swinging nonsense of, oh, my uh, tumour was bigger than your tumour and all this and that. We trained together in the same hospital, so we were always on the same circuit. And he said he'd done this case with one of our bosses, and uh, the ribs were all mashed, and it was a dog's dinner. And he said to him, why don't you try fixing them with some plates? So I I thought, well, I'm not going to be outdone by John. So a couple of weeks later, I was back at work, and I had some uh, smackhead had come in, with a stoved-in chest, an empyema, cachectic. I mean, you know, he was um, living on heroin and Coca-Cola, I think, before his trauma. And um, I kind of thought, well, if I'm going to get him over his sepsis, I need to drain the empyema, stretch out the lung, but I can't stretch out the lung with it all stoved in. So I asked the scrub nurse to get the uh, small fragment set from the hand surgeons and screwed in some plates and screws, and it worked. And I did it a few times, and it kept on working. And yeah, so I've kind of been interested in rib fixation, and that must be 2005 or 2006 when I started. Eventually got some specific plates, eventually using the stratos sort of things, that like claws that uh, are pretty ugly uh, when you squeeze them on the bone, um, and then moved over to Synthes through a very nice rep who hooked me up with the group, which was Mike Benelman, your previous leader of CWIS, um, Mario and uh, Art uh, Martel, who's a cardiac surgeon um, around Boston, if I remember correctly. And then when Mike left, this great big hairy German bear came on board, who was Stefan. Yeah. And what a fantastic experience that was, you know, working with those four. And we managed to blag J&J to always have a meeting wherever CWIS was or some other important thoracic meeting. So 
we managed to tie in uh, free flights. My trips are always business because I moved over to the UAE and uh, so uh, the way your J&J work, if your flight was, I think it was over four or six hours, it's automatically upgraded. So yeah, I did all right. <laughs> yeah. About eight years on that. These days, I mean, like, so I'll take, today I had, a, I thought it was going to be a small list of small bits and bobs because summer here is weird. Uh, it's really, really hot now. So a lot of physicians go on leave and a lot of the uh, people who live here go on holiday to escape. But uh, So today I had like a 77-year-old with an embedded tracheal stent that he'd neglected that was deep within the tracheal wall. I managed to take that out uh, endoscopically. Had to take him back though because he bled, but anyway, that um, sorted him out. Uh, done a two-year-old incision biopsy of a massive tumour with mediastinal shift. Wow. Then we've done an empyema, done a lung cancer staging, uh, and then I had to supervise one of the uh, other surgeons doing a, a thyroid in, in the chest. I thought it was going to be a nice, easy list. It turned into nearly 13 hours in the OR. That's okay. Yeah, fun day. 13 hours in the OR does not sound like a bad day. No, and um, exactly. But uh, I just, uh, as I was saying to Tom, I'm struggling a bit with uh, some food poisoning. So uh, to be honest, that last week, uh, it started last week. And, uh, I had to do a thoracoscopic mediastinal tumor excision and just got a flash migraine because I was dehydrated. And I'm the only thoracic surgeon in town. That's it. So I just had to buck up and stop whinging and uh, get on with it. But most of the time, life here is fantastic. Compared to what I hear from the UK, it's all whinging and moaning. Um, I consider myself quite blessed. Well, I don't know if you keep up with the news. You know, doctors are on strike, yeah. and I think justifiably, but the, the media are laying into them as these overpaid... Crybabies. Yeah, exactly. I was in the UK a month ago for a family anniversary. Uh, not a particularly happy anniversary, but it was good to catch up. And it was sunny and, you know, England in the summer. For those that if you've never been to England, pick a sunny day. It's fantastic. Uh, ignore the whinging, ignore the uh, traffic jams and the rail strikes, but uh, it is really phenomenal place. There's a lot to do. It sounds fantastic. As far as the UAE goes, how many other groups or how many other people are there like you that are plating ribs and dealing with chest wall trauma? So, interestingly, uh, we had a get-together in uh, February or March, it was uh, in Dubai, and there were six other thoracic surgeons from Dubai and one of the Northern Emirates called Ajman and another one called Fujera, where they set up trauma centers. And one of the surgeons came up to me and he said, uh, in fact, he stood up in, when I was giving a lecture. As usual, I was giving a 20-minute lecture and it went. I was doing a, an hour and 10 in. And he stands up and he says to me, um, I need to apologize because we invited you to Dubai to give a lecture in 2014, when I first moved here, and I was exalting the benefits of rib fixation. And we all said, no, 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 that's a load of bollocks. You don't need to do that. We just give them painkillers and send them home. He said, well, we just started doing them about three or four months ago, and it's fantastic. So um, that was quite nice. So to see that it's taken a while, um, and I'm not sure what exactly was the ignition on the fuse that set them up to do it, but they started doing it, and they're not doing small cases I finished my lecture and then the guy from Ajman stands up and he shows me this his presentation. Guy comes in, motorcycle accident, traumatic four-quarter amputation, completely collapsed chest. That was his first case to fix ribs. That's awesome. Not advisable. What are you going to do? <laughs> That's a great one to start on. Right. For our listeners, that go big or go home mentality may not be your best start. Look like dog's dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, that's an expression that I've never heard before. I just, I'm just throwing that out there. I love that. Dog's dinner. 
Isn't this a British expression? I didn't know. No, I've, I've, bits and bobs I've heard of and bo a load of bollocks I've heard that, but not dog's dinner before. So I'm track here. Making a list. Uh, I don't know. In Louisiana, the term of description of just like the entire patient just looked like dog meat is taken off. Dog meat. <laughs> yeah. One of my mentors, I think he will do it eventually. He's, he always promised to write a book on all the phrases he'd learned because he learned in the era where the surgeon would come in a tuxedo and uh, the resident would have to park the bench for him matron would be standing at the step of the hospital and then they would all walk in order of rank and follow him around Man, those were the days i know i really i wish i'd missed that um he always used to tell me something slightly more polite you know he can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear or um if he was in a particularly um more animated mood he said if you're going to polish a turd you're going to get dirt on your fingers <laughs> I like that one. So, Ed, we met in 2016. Sarah, he came to the very first meeting. Yes, he did. I will never forget it. You had not registered. We were sold out. And I remember you just kind of strode casually up to the registration desk. You're like, hello, I'm Ed Black. I'm from Abu Dhabi. I haven't registered, but perhaps you can fit me in. And I just like, yeah, we'll, we'll find you a seat, man. <laughs> No problem. Like, <laughs> we literally were like looking around and we're like, grab an extra chair because there's literally no spot available. And so we grabbed the hotel gal to like find an extra chair and you were just like, oh, that'll be great. <laughs> cool, you came from around the world and you didn't even know if you would like have a spot. Like it was so epic. I was dazzled from the get-go. It was great. What was that meeting like? I mean, I've heard it talked about in myth and legend, you know, it brought up in right. the meeting, but what was that like? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Let Ed tell us what it was like. I don't remember. I don't know if I can remember. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic because it was the same it as was the all room, new. just a little smaller. We all knew that we sort of belonged there and wanted to see what this was all about and who our tribe was going to be. It was, it was a very exciting time, but it was just, there weren't any rules. The feeling when I left, I mean, uh, I mentioned John before and Stefan, um, obviously now I know Tom and Sarah and lucky to know you both. But when I left that place, I couldn't believe, you know, when you go to meetings, you very rarely anything new. It's usually showing off, I've done something with a smaller incision or, uh, but CWIS was not like that at all. The meeting was just like, there are these problems. We're not really sure how to go about them. We've tried this. We've tried that. Well, somebody puts a hand up, oh, I've tried it like this. And it was just so honest and open. And I left feeling inspired. I left wanting to do more, learn more, get involved. And it was, I think it was, Tom, the way you led that meeting and just your, your lack of ego in getting it going. Phenomenal. It was people like you that uh, were willing to risk it and uh, take a risk on it. It was what made it happen. It was very exciting. It remains that way, but we need to continue to strive to keep that feeling in the meeting. You haven't been to a meeting for a while, Ed, so we're looking forward to seeing you now here in sure. Park City. And we're, actually, we're going to see you in Amsterdam in a few weeks. Amsterdam, yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. So, when people say the word expat, I think of you. You know, I have these archetypes, and some, you know, if somebody says mentor, surgeon, or great athlete, I have these archetypes, but you are my when somebody says that, you come into my brain. So tell us how you became an app. You notice he didn't say great surgeon. I know. That was weird how he went there with it. <laughs> I've cooperated with you. So I can't test your <laughs> skills directly, but I know you as a person. and You're very proud of your British heritage, but you've chosen to live elsewhere. And so I just want what's that like? Or what's, what's the mindset there? What are we missing? Although I'm very proud to be English, not British, because uh, I have nothing to do with Scotland or Wales. Okay. Um, but <laughs> okay. I hope there's some Welsh uh, or Scottish uh, in the, yeah, who listen to it. 
I've, I've actually always had a very outward gaze. I've always, so since when I was a young kid, like many young kids, you know, got into the whole Bruce Lee and from Kung Fu to karate and jujitsu, right, you know, when I was 12. And so when I grew up, even I kept up the martial arts and all I wanted to do was go east. So as soon as I got any money, I think I, the first time I went to Nepal was 1986. And then a few years later, I was in China in 1988. And then when I could, I got to Philippines and Japan and Thailand and India a few times. All I wanted to do was to see pretty women with brown skin and eat food that was spicy. So the Middle East was a good salary and not too far away from Asia. How did Jamaica come into all this? So that's my best friend uh, since childhood. He's like my nefarious character on my shoulder. He's always sneaking out to smoke a bit of weed when we were growing up. And um, hey, one day, you know, once I got over to UAE and, uh, you know, he knew I was earning some money and uh, he asked me if would I help him invest in setting up a weed business in Jamaica. <laughs> we looked into it and we got all the license application forms and so forth and he thought he'd introduced me to a guy who would be a good builder and a grower as in build a suitable infrastructure and anyway it took a massive detour and we ended up buying a huge chunk of land in the best weed growing area but quite remote as in it's got a lot of history back in the day when people were smuggling in airplanes plane loads into US and uh, Europe. This is the valley where they were growing. Uh. But I don't know what happened. We ended up with a piece of land, which was the land where the guy called Bogle, who started the slave rebellion that ended British slave business, basically, in Jamaica, on my land. And every year they have a procession that starts on my land. But nobody in Jamaica does anything about it. It's like two men and a dog turn up to this annual procession. <laughs> it's a beautiful spot with history overlooking the Caribbean, up in the hills, breeze, building and growing a sort of a homestead. Uh, the weed business has taken a curveball, and I'm letting the grower grow. He sometimes does massive crops, sometimes small, but it's a real headache. And I'm going to concentrate on a hospitality business there, setting up like an Airbnb with a restaurant with my Thai wife. Can we come visit? My pleasure. My pleasure. Obviously, there will be uh, everything to enjoy that's uh, grown on the land, including, <laughs> I mean, the genetic uh, development we're doing there is exceptional. He is winning awards and uh, has people visiting from the States to try and learn from him. and We are. Yeah, the, well, the problem in the States is actually lack of organic plant, uh, organic flower, particularly grown outdoors. It's a rarity now. And I don't know if he's going to go into export. That's a massive headache. I'm not getting involved in any of that. But for me, I'm looking at it as a homestead. And at the moment, we're aiming to get up to 400 fruit trees to go into syntropic agriculture, which is a bit like mimicking natural rainforest, where you pack trees together so close that you would say, oh, no, they're never going to flourish. They're too close to this crowding. But that's the whole point. You want overcrowding. And you occasionally chop and prune and let everything collapse on the ground and mulch. It takes about 10, 20 years, but it creates topsoil. It minimizes disease because there's no uniform plant, you know, susceptibility. Yeah. That's Jamaica just came out of left field. And my mate in England, he bailed on the project. So I was left with um, I either just say that was a big waste of money and walk away or keep going. And at the moment, I'm on the keep going track. We're sort of more like a boutique rather. We're not going in industrial quantity. We're more into quality and everything's organic. So we use river water, we use silt from the riverbed mixed in with chicken poo and uh, what have you for fertilizer. 
And for insect control, we use cinnamon and chili oils that we make ourselves rather than uh, chemical sprays. Is there a cartel there or is there an organized crime element there? There's all of that. But um, as I said, we're not really growing some sort of massive industrial scale. They don't feel threatened by your little boutique. Correct. Uh, Plus, we sell to a lot of the uh, reggae stars when they come from the States to record in Jamaica, they come to us because of the reputation. I think Dr. Black just became the most interesting man in Seawitz right now. Right? <laughs> like, this is a guy who's taken me to a camel farm. He owns a weed farm. Like, I... Can we get that title for him, please? I mean, that's the title of the episode, but the most interesting man in Seawitz. Isn't it why you're holding the meeting in Amsterdam? Yeah. Amsterdam, here we come. Let's go back to the UAE for a moment and tell us trauma world. What's unique about the UAE? How do the Emiratis injure themselves that may not be uh, something that we're camel racing comes to mind, but what else? Obviously, camel racing is a sport of the wealthy Emiratis, which is a subset of the Emirati population. But the camels have to be trained. And the lads who do the training and the cleaning the stables, they get kicked and they get bitten. Camels uh, have got beautiful eyes and eyelashes and they can look, you may think, oh, they're so sweet. sweet. They're vicious. Yeah, they're very vicious. Their mouth is full of the most horrendous microorganisms and they have a very long memory as well. So if you piss them off, uh, they allegedly will remember that like an elephant for at least a year or more. One of these uh, lads may hit the camel in the stables, maybe nothing's going to happen today. It'll happen. So we've had a few where we've had huge bits of chest wall removed. So the really, really sad, it's actually sad, uh, so let's take it down to a serious notch. But in the UAE, the main thing is here is it's a young country full of people with a lot of money and kids grow up driving uh, land cruisers. So they have the Toyota Land Cruiser and there's a Nissan version. Huge V8 cars, SUVs. So between Alain and Abu Dhabi, the road is 160 kilometers per hour speed limit. It's what, like 100 miles an hour. I'm not exaggerating. They will drive up to within two meters of your bumper. At that speed. (sighs) At that speed. Flashing you. You're at 160 kilometers an hour, and they're flashing you get out of the way. And they're only going to brake when they hit the speed camera because there's so many speed cameras here wow. it's ridiculous and if you don't get out the way they'll go into the hard shoulder bit and uh, when they drive past you you'll get hit by all the gravel debris you know and that does damage at that speed they don't wear seatbelts at all wow. and then when they're bombing down the road at that speed they'll meet granddad with his cataracts who's not got his lights on He's doing 80 kilometers an hour in the fast lane and they don't see him so we get a lot of really high speed unrestrained so our rib fracture practice is actually a lot less than I expected because these they don't survive. come in. And they also do the same in um, buggies. So my neighbor, but one down the road here, he has one of these dune bashing buggies. It's like a, a scaffolding frame with four knobbly tires on one on each corner and his wait for it is 1200 brake horsepower. It's crazy. Can you imagine? Two seats and a roll cage and a 1,200 brake horse. So they hit these dunes, they go up these ridiculous inclines, and they roll. God. So we had one guy, my colleague was on call, but we, we went round to ICU to see some guy. He was BMI, was 50. He'd been found face down in the sand. So he got burns because it was hot. He'd got an arterial bleed in the brain, but he had a flail chest. And there were several ribs I was never going to reach under the scapula. It was just too much meat and blubber. There's no right angle approach. But he had about three fractures on one side and two on another we might have fixed. We sort of looked at him a couple of days and his brain was not making any recovery. And we thought, well, we're committing him to a trackie here. 
And Mariam, I think you met Mariam when you came. She looked at me and she said, I don't think we can do anything. And I said, because I'm trying to get her to make more decisions on her own. I said, well, it's your call. You could argue that even with brain injury, we should be fixing him because then at least he has a chance of not being traked. And that's another thing you see here. You see people ventilated for 20 years and they were coming expecting me to do some thoracic surgery for their trachea. And I said to her, "Um, to be honest, I think probably it's not be much benefit so I probably wouldn't do him either. But in my mind, I kept thinking, you know, am I shortchanging this guy? Am I shortchanging him? Anyway, he put us out of the misery and he died, I think, overwhelming brain failure on about day six. But, you know, we, we get these cases where we think, should we, shouldn't we, should we, shouldn't we? So that's something that's very different to the UK. Uh, when I was at the Mayo business venture, I tried to get the uh, link up with the real Mayo Clinic so that we could do uh, computer modeling to look at the difference of injuries we get here. Uh, Stefan said he'd be able to try and do something similar. It was based off something I'd seen at CWIS where I can't remember who presented work, where basically they put a, a heat map of a rib cage with the sort of spine in the middle and the ribs coming out both sides. It looked like a sort of a splatted thorax. And it just heat mapped where the fractures were. And I, I was curious to see whether they were going to get any difference in uh, unrestrained versus restrained, because... Certainly in Germany, most passengers are restrained. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, one of those things that might have been interesting back then, but I think the evidence is probably moving along where it's not maybe that important anymore. I have five or six other topics here I want to talk with you about, but we'll do it in Amsterdam over some beers. I got to run to the OR. I'm so sorry, but it was truly a pleasure to meet the most interesting member of CWIS. <laughs> <laughs> you guys keep enjoying. I'm going to bounce. Good to see you all. Good to see you. Have a see you, Mark. Nice to meet you. We're going to shift gears here a little bit, and Sarah's going to give us some updates, and then Dr. Schmidt's going to give us some information about case review series. All right, so as far as updates for this week, we have a handful of things coming up. I want to make sure that everybody has on their calendar. One of the main things that I want to make sure people really highlight on their calendar is August 16th, we have a webinar that'll be presented by Dr. Susan Cartico titled Optimal Publications Techniques and the CWIS Special Edition Process for JTAX and SACO publication. And the idea here really is that you can get all your questions answered for anything related to the JTAX and SACO process. If you intend to be hoping for one of those spots, if you're submitting an abstract this year for the summit, or if you just are a regular submitter to JTAX or want to be, join this webinar and hear the things that Dr. Cartico has to say. She is our publications chair. She also has a guest editor role with JTAX now. And so she has lots of knowledge and background in this specific aspect. And so we want to make sure that people know the latest and greatest. That one is August 16th, two o'clock mountain time. So put that on your calendar. That is our next main item to make sure that you have, um, that you're thinking about. The other thing I would shout out is just coming up In the fall, of course, we have lots of large meetings going on here in the United States between the AAST, the OTA, and the American College of Surgeons. We are going to be having meet and greets at all of those events. So if you are attending any of them, please keep an eye on the newsletter and join us for beverages, appetizers, dinner, whatever going on. We'll be at each of those events for one of the nights and would love to see our tribe getting together. Bits and bobs. That is what's going on. And we had a terrific case review yesterday. 
and want to hear a little bit about it. This is a new segment that we're integrating as kind of a learning points from case review. So Dr. Schmidt is here to tell us a little bit about what you missed, if you missed it, and the archive is available on the website. So on that note, Dr. Schmidt, take it away. Thank you very much, Sarah Ann. Dr. Black, stories inspirational. There is a lot of stuff happening and Man, I hope I get to meet you at one of these summits just to pick your brain, buy you a beer, and listen to some stories. Let me tell you. My name is Kyle Schmidt. I am a trauma surgeon, which really is a jack-of-all-trades, master of none in Miami. I tell my residents we are the garbage cans of the hospital. Just give us all the trash. I, uh, with my co-pilot, Brad Fallix, uh, we run the case review series. It is a wonderful experience for new residents, old residents, seasoned attendings, junior attendings, to come and share their experiences with uh, chest wall reconstruction and uh, surgical stabilization of rib fractures, sternums, shoulder quarter for lateral implosion injuries, just an opportunity to really get a sense of what people are doing out there, what their techniques, what their ways of looking at things are. Yesterday, we had case review series Oceana, where our colleagues in Australia and New Zealand really gave us a fantastic uh, presentation on all of the stuff they're doing down there. We presented five cases, and let me tell you, it was ridiculous. The kind of stuff they're doing, the way they look at that kind of chest wall trauma was absolutely fantastic. And I got to say, uh, they go hard down under. They really, really do. There was a lot of ridiculous stuff. And there was one patient who had a ton of titanium, bilateral incisions, probably plated all the ribs. You know, just the way they look at that sort of They're very interesting members. <laughs> I think they should be considered our treasured members. But let me tell you, there was some crazy stuff going on, you know? I mean, it's a good day if I have a couple of ribs laterally that I could do in an hour or two. But man, some of the stuff they're doing is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, because it's kind of a different philosophy than we have in the States, you know, a lot of the, the clavicles and scapulas, those are done by the orthopedic surgeons. But the surgeons uh, down under, they're doing everything. So they're fixing the ribs, they're fixing the clavicle, they're fixing the scapula. And the entire process is very much an integrated approach, which I think is very cool. And I think what the great thing about Case Review Series is, is it provides an open forum for everyone to talk about ideas, discuss new cases, and, and really an open exchange of these ideas for us to move forward. So, you know, we do this case review once a month and, you know, Dr. Black, I would love to get some cases from you, just some crazy stories just to have you on and kind of looking at those type of things. That would be fantastic. But I think the um, the case review series down under was great because it was all people from a bunch of uh, hospitals in, in Australia and New Zealand that really provided a good idea of what they're doing. And, you know, I think that that may take off more towards a, an international standpoint. You know, we'd love to do some from the surgeons of Europe, you know, love to do that from the surgeons of India and, and Asia. So um, if you're interested, let, definitely let us know. We're coming to Bass Month with some surgeons from South Florida, my home base, and as well up in Chicago. And we have a couple more in the Midwest that we're going to discuss and talk about some stuff. So I definitely invite you to come on, let us pick your brain a little bit, see the, some of the exchange of ideas and kind of go from there. That is excellent. And it was our first case presented by a nurse practitioner. So that was pretty cool. I, I was very excited that we officially became multidisciplinary in case presentation too. So if you're listening and you think, oh, I'd love to present something, you know, if you're a PT or, or a nurse practitioner and you think maybe you need to shelf this off to someone else on your team, no, I say nay nay. 
you yourself can present this case, submit it, and we'll reach out. So please let us know. And also trainees. This is a great opportunity for trainees in any discipline to really be in a supportive environment where they can present their ideas, get um, exchange those with other people that are conversant in the field, and really kind of discuss and kind of hone their skills, not just as clinicians, but also as presenters. Well, and we have a variety of successes and failures, you know, where people bring things that didn't go so great and we get suggestions and things where you know it's more of a show and tell where they get to say look at this cool thing that happened you know and it's a blend of all so i think that's a great shout out thank you so much no idea is a bad idea unless it's really bad idea then we'll let you know and that is just a good time <laughs> definitely and i think you know for the trainees and the people that are just starting out your failures teach you so much more than the successes you do so true indeed so true all right Kat, you got the final stitch Final stitch. I am in that post called bliss and the world is my oyster, so I'm going to go swim in the ocean. Good for you. Don't overheat Florida water. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's uh, 88 degrees and, and glorious. That is very good. Well, I'll give you my, my final stitch. So regular listeners know that I talk about my family far too much. I don't know if you guys ever hear our pod, but my dad suffers from pretty severe dementia. So my mom and I take care of him and one of his favorite activities these days seems to be getting up in the night and he moves things around, right? So you'll get up and he'll have like lined all of his shoes down the hallway or, you know, I mean, just random peculiar things, right? Well, two weeks ago now, he got up and for whatever reason, he moved his golf clubs into their bedroom perpendicular to the bed. Again, no rhyme or reason to the thoughts that go through his mind, bless his heart. So my mom got up to use the restroom and of course fell over the golf clubs and fell onto the bed frame and, you know, I mean, the whole nine yards and broke an apical rib. And I have heard nothing but just grief for weeks, you guys, about how do you help all these other people fix their ribs? And I'm in so much pain. And it is one single rib. She is fine. It is way high. <laughs> there is nothing that's going to happen with this rib. But, you know, a lidocaine patch and a whole lot of complaining and a lot of cans of Diet Coke to, like, work it out. But, oh, my gosh, it has been a full drama for weeks. So we are suffering through a broken rib in family life right now, and it's been rough. Hopefully she'll get better soon. I mean, it's been two weeks. She should start to feel better. I think it's getting better. I think part of the problem is just as she fell, she had COVID. And so just all the coughing all the COVID and then, you know, the, the rib. And so like, it's just, it's been a rough healthcare a couple of weeks. <laughs> Each time she calls and she's like, oh, are you busy helping other people with their broken ribs? I'm like, oh, are you busy guilting me about something I can't change? <laughs> like, Please extend our best wishes. So if anyone wants to play a single apical rib, feel free to head on in, over to Utah. We, I got a case for you. So there you go. My final stick is the Women's World Cup. Um, I didn't think I was going to get very excited about it, but it's here, and it's fun to root for your native team, and it reminds me of how exciting it is. And I've never been to one. I'd like to someday, but uh, that's what I've been thinking about is the World Cup. Dr. Black, do you have a final stitch for us? I do, and it's nothing to do with chest trauma. So I'm reminded uh, today it's Big Buddha Day in Thailand, and uh, as you know, my home minister is from Thailand and Thailand needs help at the moment. I don't know if any of you follow the news, the king and the government are running the place for their own financial gain. So if you like to go to go east, go to Thailand. It's the best food on the planet, but support the little people. Don't just stay in 
big hotels and go to fancy schmancy restaurants. Give your money to the small people because they need it. The country's been through hell with COVID and the government's given them fuck all help. So, uh... Okay, thanks, Ed. Thanks, everybody. That was a great Fracture Line. I enjoyed myself tremendously. Kyle, thanks for your contribution. Ed, great to see you, and we'll see you in a few weeks. So Black good way. to see you all. Looking Thank you for to. warming my heart. This was fantastic. Thanks so much for this. It was awesome. It was great. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.